Thanks for joining us today on the Principal Podcast. It's so good to have you here. Um, everybody, this is Lauren Weinstein. Um, Lauren, I'll let you go ahead and kind of just give a you know brief handoff and introduction to yourself if you'd like. Sure. I taught for Stanford Business School for five years, a class called Strategic Communication. Uh, I gave a very popular TED Talk. It has uh, over 2 million views now. Uh, that was very much a talk from the heart. I share my own personal story and journey. And I started doing speaking and communication coaching for private clients. And now I do that as well as deeper, more transformational work. So helping clients break through limiting beliefs and really tap into their full potential and capacity. Yep. Everybody should check out that TED Talk when they get a chance, by the way. But um, the number one thing that stuck out to me from that and something that I kind of wanted to talk to you about and kind of, you know, the basis for this whole conversation today is you said something that I thought was really powerful. You said, um, what makes us so amazing as children is that we live in a world before ropes. Mm. What yeah. does that mean? What are, what are ropes? What are these ropes and how do they develop? Sure. So for those who haven't seen the talk, I open by talking about elephants who are obviously very strong and very powerful but you can get them to stay in captivity held by only a very light rope that they could easily break. Uh, and how you get them to do this is you tie them down when they're small and not yet, not yet strong enough to break the rope. So they'll try it first, realize they can't, and then a new belief is formed. Oh, I can't break the rope. So even though they grow to be strong and powerful, they end up living into their belief about reality rather than what's actually true. And so this is true for elephants. It's also true for us. So to give you a personal example of this, uh, in my talk, I talk about my, my first love, Fernando. Uh, he was three, or I was three and he was four. Um, but, you know, as kids, we just live very purely in the world. Like things aren't very complicated. So I had a lot of joy when I saw him, when I didn't see him. You know, I couldn't wait to see him again. It was, it was pretty simple. But then we have a lot of life experiences that get in the way. So let's say fast forward, we're 25 now. So I had, just like the elephant, you know, getting tied down by the rope, I had experiences that shaped my view of myself as well as the world and others. So my parents divorced when I was also about three and I didn't see my father very much growing up. So I started to believe, oh, wow, like I can't trust people to stay. Like I can love something or someone and I can't, mm -hmm. you know, trust it to be there. And then I, since I didn't see him, I also thought, wow, I must not be important or valuable. Uh, fast forward, I'm, I'm about 10 or 11 in sixth grade. I get asked out by Sam Funt, the, the cute boy in the class. Um, and, you know, I'm so excited. And then two weeks later, he breaks up with me <laughs> for another girl at a party. Um, so again, I'm like, okay, wow. Yeah. Again, it was like someone being inconsistent. I can't trust people to stay. I'm not valuable. So obviously my dad had my, his own reasons more to do with my mother, nothing to do with me. Sam Font was 10 years old. <laughs> like it wasn't, these things aren't so meaningful, but we're so young and we make this meaning, right? So now I, I go through the world believing that. So years later, I'm in relationship now and I'm so insecure, right? This is like fear of abandonment, but I'm so, I like someone and I'm excited, but rather than pure joy, now I have fear. Now I have worry and anxiety. I don't see myself as so valuable. I also took on some things from my mother around, you know, being perfect. So I'm like, oh, wow, I really need to be perfect and always do and say the right thing. So this person stays. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about these beliefs is that they create self-fulfilling prophecies, 
So I did have a series of relationships where the people, they were very interested. And then it seemed like they just kind of, you know, disappeared or changed their mind. But when I look back, I was so afraid of getting hurt that I wouldn't put myself out there. I wasn't as loving and open hearted, right? I was more guarded and, and protected. So even in conversations with them later on, they thought I wasn't that interested, which made them feel afraid of getting hurt, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, that's one example. Like a vicious cycle that, that cycle. just keeps feeding into itself. Yeah. Yourself. Or, you know, if someone thinks I'm not a good speaker and people don't care, they're probably going to speak really quickly or, you know, mm -hmm. not really do justice. I have an important message to share and I'm going to share up that, you know, show up that way. And so what we believe very much shapes our actions. The, the other example I was thinking of is, I also share in my talk that we, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so my mother said, we didn't have enough money to pay the babysitter that I wanted. So I was like, don't worry, mom, I got this. You know, I'm like painting rocks, yeah. go around yeah. like in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, fast forward years later, all of us, you know, we have experiences where we get rejected or someone tells us we don't have a good idea. So now let's say I'm 25, I might start thinking, Oh, well, is that silly? Should I like sell my rocks? Is this good enough? Well, people, what will people think? Maybe I get rejected. Like we're so afraid of failure that we don't put ourselves out there. Yep. And so, but as children, we haven't had those experiences. So we're just like going to sell my rocks, going to love Fernando, you know? So it's, I find later on we have these desires. It's just, we have these blocks or, you know, ropes as I call them that, that mm -hmm. get away and have that shape our emotions and our, our actions and situations. Right. And that's where kind of you thought it was, you know, we'll touch on this later on, but that's kind of where your the idea for your business came about in the first place, right? It was like, okay, well, people obviously have these beliefs about themselves and these are kind of holding them back, these limiting beliefs, but they also know that there's certain things that they want to do and there's an end mm -hmm. goal of where they want to be. How can we remove these obstacles that come up along the way? A hundred percent. And even, you know, I work with my family as well. I work with my mother and to, a very concrete example of what you just shared. She was in a job that made her very unhappy. She wasn't fulfilled, uh, but she's about 65 at this point. And so mm -hmm. she wants a new job that's fulfilling, but she has blocks, right? Or ropes. She believes I'm too old. I won't get hired. Other people are more qualified than I am. And I'm not good at interviews. So she spends all this time just staying in this job because she has these beliefs. Oh, I can't, I can't do better right? I'm kind of stuck here. Yeah. So I yeah. worked with her, of course, right? And so a lot of it is just shifting the way you see things. So, you know, yes, she's 65, but a lot of people that are 65, you know, get new jobs or, you know, our president of, of the United States is over in his seventies, you know, so like <laughs> that, that's fine for doing a job, especially a very big job. She just wants to do fundraising, not even like run the country. Um, that's one, you know, a lot of people job for only two to five years anyway. So if someone gets her for an amazing five years, like good for them. You can also look at it as she has over 20 years of experience in fundraising. So we're actually seeing that as valuable. Uh, other people are more qualified. She actually brought in some really big donors, like huge names at her last mm -hmm. organization. So recognizing that. And then the last piece, I'm not good at interviews. It's but she could become better, right? Like she did tend to, you know, kind of ramble and, and wasn't, you know, really honed in. But I worked with her. We got her to be clear and concise. And so rather than say I'm not good, it's, well, how could I become better? What can I do to kind of optimize myself? So she worked really hard and she has this job that's 10 times better. 
because yep. she was able to work through those beliefs. So once she knocked out the blocks by either reframing her thinking or kind of upping her skills in the way that was needed, it was like, now there's nothing holding her back and she, she creates a new reality. Yeah. Yep. And I'm actually really glad you said that too, because a lot of times people think that limiting beliefs is, is such a young person's problem, right? Mm. Like, oh, when you're 15, you don't think that you can go to this school or, or study this or whatever. Or when you're in your mid twenties, you're like, oh, well, I don't know what I want to, whatever. Right. Like people think that these limiting belief issues are for, for a younger person, but everybody's got them. Like you were just saying, you know, 65 year old mother. Um, I feel like I was having this conversation the other day with my friend's mom just about like, hey, just because you're, you know, you're over 60 doesn't mean that it's too late to go start that freaking, you know, restaurant that you've always wanted to do. Right. 100%. Yeah. And it's, and it's crazy because everybody feels like they can relate, obviously. Mm-hmm. And there's all these um, stories. Like the KFC founder was, I don't know, in his 60s or, you know, there's just yeah. like great examples of people doing things. And 65 yeah. is still so young. And the other one for that is around dating. You know, people might think I'm too old to date or there's no one good out there. Really? Yeah. So to your point, at any age, we can have these. Yeah. Beliefs. Yeah. And it's it's funny how many conversations I've been having with people about how like, you know, the the age thing seems to be such a limiting factor for whatever they want to do, whether it's, you know, dating, finding love or starting a business or, you know, changing their careers or doing whatever. Um, it seems like the age is always the thing that's holding them back for whatever reason. Yeah, that's a big one for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's something, something else that was really, really powerful in your TED Talk and I think does a really good job of kind of um, summarizing the entire limiting beliefs um, concept is, uh, is the ugly scar experiment. Mm. I yeah. thought that was really cool. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, so interesting. So in this study, the researchers took makeup and put a really ugly scar on people's faces. And they said, okay, with this scar, we want you to go into a room and have a conversation with someone. Uh, but the twist was before they left, they said, wait, hold on. We just want to touch up your scar a little bit. Rather than touch it up, they removed it entirely. So they now go into this conversation with this stranger uh, thinking they have an ugly scar, but looking completely normal have their conversation come out. The researchers say, how was that? They go, that was terrible. That was so awkward. They stared at my scar, which right did not exist, had trouble yeah. making eye contact, of so course. uncomfortable, right? And so they were completely living into like the elephant, you know, their belief about reality rather than what was actually true. And so it's such a great example of what we all do, right? So again, you know, we're on a date and we're thinking, I don't have anything interesting to say. I don't look you know, good enough or pretty enough, or I'm not this enough, you know? So we go in believing that when that does impact everything, you know, how we show up, our energy, how people respond to us. And so, you know, what I coach people to do is to, to first challenge the thinking, right? So, and often it's hard to catch our thoughts because they're so ingrained. Like the elephant doesn't even think to question, oh, wait, there's a rope. Can I break the rope? So we, a good thing to start thinking, like notice your emotions. Our emotions we're much more aware of. So notice when you don't feel good, you feel anxious or worried or afraid. So in the SCAR study, you're like, okay, I'm feeling really anxious right now. So notice the emotion and then say, okay, well, what thoughts are associated with this emotion? Oh, I'm thinking I don't look good. I think I'm thinking the person's going to judge me. It's going to be uncomfortable. So really just get out your thoughts, write them down, talk through them with someone. And then for each thought, you can really challenge it, right? So I think I have this ugly scar. Well, is, is that really true, right? Maybe you look in the mirror, you ask someone else, 
Or even if it is true, then you can say, well, does it matter, right? Can I still have a good conversation even with an ugly scar, right? Mm -hmm. Can I still be mm -hmm. like, you know, very charismatic and create a good relationship and maybe it doesn't matter. Can I work through it? Can I work through it? And so it's, you know, yeah. it's called reflective inquiry. You're asking these questions. So, you know, for my mother, well, can I still get a job at 65? What would that look like? I'm not good at interviews, but could I become better at interviews? So rather than I can't or I'm not, how could I is such a powerful question. And, and actually two quick examples of this. There's a great other TED talk called Embrace the Shake by Phil Hansen. Have you seen that one? I have not. Uh, it's great. So he was an artist who would do these little kind of dot paintings, but he did Phil Hansen. Phil Hansen. Yep. Phil artist Hansen. music dot dot paintings, but he did it so much that he kind of burnt out his hand. And so mm -hmm. he had nerve damage and his hand would shake. And so he said, this is terrible. My career is over for three years. He lived with depression. He wasn't, you know, living his passion. And then he goes to a doctor and the doctor looked at his shaking hand and he goes, oh, well, can't you just embrace the shake? Can't you still create art even with a shaking hand? Mm -hmm. He was like, what? Like <laughs> it opened up this whole new world for him. So rather mind than blowing. I can't, mind blowing, right? It's like, can't, it's how could I? He ends up creating incredible art. Uh, he's so successful that he's chosen as an artist for the Grammy Awards, goes on to give a TED Talk. So he's even more successful after, you know, he has this injury than before because his belief change. And it was only one belief. Sometimes it's just one belief that can literally change your entire life. And so uh, as an example, for me, I used to not do things because I was afraid of failing or I didn't mm -hmm. think I had the experience to do that, which, which is a common one. Mm -hmm. uh, then I started to think, okay, well, I can figure it out. You know, I'm resourceful. So when I first started coaching, I'd get asked to do certain projects or workshops. I didn't necessarily have like 100% expertise, but I said yes. And I'm like, I'll figure this out. I'll do research. I'll talk to people. And I always did. I always figured it out. So that was a huge shift for me. And it led to so many more possibilities that I wouldn't have had if I just stayed with, oh, I can't. I'm not an expert. I don't have enough experience. Yep. So what you're saying is you might have had limiting beliefs around your ability to execute on a certain thing, right? But you mustered up enough courage or you created some kind of confidence and you were like, you know what? I'm just going to throw myself into it and see what happens. Totally. Right. 100%. Yeah. That takes, that takes a lot of, um, it takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of self-esteem, right? Mm -hmm. it, it does. It does. It yeah, takes yeah. also actually, you know, and I mentioned this in the talk, it, it takes a willingness to fail. Right. So yeah. I say if I wanted to get it right. I first had to be willing to get it wrong. Yep. And before we started recording, I mentioned uh, Kathy Heller has a popular podcast and she's interviewed, I'm saying like hundreds of, of famous, really successful people at this point. Mm -hmm. And she said one thing that a lot of them have in common is they're willing to be a C student, <laughs> right? We all think we ought to be perfect. We got to get the A. And she's like, no, they're just willing to put out a messy first draft, right? Yep. Willing to have zero followers, have a terrible first post or first podcast or whatever it is. And then just learn as they go and keep getting better and better and refining it, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, I'll take on a first coaching client or do a first workshop and maybe it's fine, but that's okay, right? I'll learn and I'll grow. And, you know, what I tell clients a lot too is it's really good to be, I call it 15% out of your comfort zone, 
right? We don't want you 50. That's like too much, you know, but like 15%, it's a little edge. And an yep. example, a personal example is I did one-on-one -on -one coaching for a long time and then mm -hmm. workshops, like one or two hour half day workshops. So get in and get out. But I sure. haven't done a two month program where I, I mean, I taught a class at Stanford, but not, this is my own program doing deeper, more transformational work, a guided journey. So at the time that was a little bit out of my comfort zone. Right. So I could have said, oh, no, it's like, you know, too scary. I don't want to do that. Or, OK, I'm going to do a thousand people, which would have felt way too much. Right. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do 10 people, all current or former clients. I, I know them really well. And so that's what I did. I ran the program group of 10 group I knew, you know, so it was a stretch and it was new, but I, I made it as safe and comfortable as possible. Mm -hmm. And so that makes such a difference. So a lot of times when someone wants to do public speaking or, you know, whatever it is, it's like, get a small audience. Like my first workshop was six friends in my apartment. You know, it's just, you're just working that muscle. And yep. so, you know, the elephant, it's like, just pull on the rope a little bit or spend five minutes in the wild. So like, we don't need yep. you out there living, giving it all up. Mm -hmm. um, it's really- just lower, just, lower the stakes a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's like, and even like when I moved to LA, I came for three months. Like if I had said, I'm giving it all up, I'm like fully moving to LA. I mean, you could, people do that as well. But for me, it was like, you know what? I'm going to come for three months, get a short-term rental and see, do I like it? Is this the right fit? And I loved it. I've been here four years now. So, but it's this idea of kind of placing small bets and running tiny experiments mm -hmm. uh, that I find can really get you far ahead. I like that. Running smaller experiments, lowering the stakes, right? So you don't need to go give a TED talk to a, you know, 10,000 person audience. Why don't you start small, do something local, do something with your friends and family, yeah. um, do something in the community, whatever, and then just gradually work your way up. See how it feels. I like exactly. That. Exactly. Yeah. Now the problem, the problem that I think plays into the whole limiting beliefs thing is not everybody has the ability to do that, right? What you were saying, like there, there was something that I read. Um, I'm forgetting who who said this, but it, it was basically that you know it's not the first like Picasso or Van Gogh or any of these super successful artists we see, right? It's not the first or second or third um, of these paintings that they that they create or or these works of art that they create that are the ones that we all remember. It's like the thousandth or like the fifteen hundredth, right? Like they're just they're just doing so much that one burst of creativity is bound to happen on their like you know nine hundred and twentieth attempt or whatever. But not all, not everybody has that um, that ability to just be like, okay, I'm gonna fail, right? It's fine. Like I'm 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 gonna look stupid or I'm gonna embarrass myself. How? How does somebody develop that? Like, I know you're saying that you can lower the stakes a little bit, but like, how can somebody even just eliminate that being a limiting belief or a, uh, a self-esteem issue rather? Like, how can somebody develop the self-esteem to just be okay with, with failing, even if the stakes are lower? Yeah. So one is how we think about things. Uh, Ray Dalio has, he's a famous, very popular you know person in business. He has a book principles, but he mm -hmm. said that one of the keys to his success is that he thinks of failure as a game, right? So he's like, okay, let me try things. I failed. Amazing. I learned what's next. Like he doesn't think of failure as this like bad thing. And that's a little bit changing in our ethos. You know, they say fail fast and early and, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. But, you know, it's like, I'm just running experiments. 
Uh, even one of my clients said, oh, my culture, we're really afraid of risk, you know, doing these risky things. And I'm like, well, you mm -hmm. just think of it as like, let's try this. We'll pilot this program. We'll experiment here. Really just having fun with it. So I'm like, hey, what would happen if I got ton, 10 people together and ran a course? What would that be like? You know, rather than it's like, oh, it's this big, scary thing. And one of my clients now wants to bring together a lot of researchers and electromagnetic energy and sound waves and um, he wants to create a big symposium, but same, you know, I was just sharing with you. He's like, well, what if I started with a small dinner and what if it was mostly friends or friends of friends, you know, and it, this is actually mm -hmm. happening this set tomorrow night. Um, but like, what is that like? And let me just try it. What is it like to bring these people together? You know, it's, it's more being open, open and curious, right? What would it be like to look at different jobs, right? To, to talk yep. to people that are you know artists or whatever work you think you might want to do like what would that be like um so that mindset of openness and curiosity and play can can make a huge difference in terms of that. yeah and I, I think the problem with that i think the problem with why people don't follow through on that is because they start to wonder about all the things that could go wrong do you yeah. find that a lot with your clients? Are they, are they like, oh man, well, if I do this, then it's going to be like doomsday and I'm I'm not going to be able to make money and I'm going to not be able to make rent and X, Y, Z. Like yeah. they just start to think of the immediate doomsday scenario instead of thinking, okay, well, if, if the stakes, if I lower the stakes and I, and I test this out and I do this little experiment, like, and it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. I can go back to whatever, whatever I was doing before. Exactly. So that's that's why like where the the small bets come in, right? I don't have to like yep. give up my apartment in my life when I think of moving to LA. It's like let me keep it and sublet it, and you know come down for three months. Like you're not, or let me. I really want to be an artist. Let me make some paintings and try to sell them on the side, or do you know this one art show that yep. helps you feel safe. But the other thing I think that's helpful is another great uh, TED talk is Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Talk about a uh, fear setting. Fear setting. Yeah. So, yep. you know, say like, okay, well, what am I afraid of happening? And you just get it all out, right? Or write down all your fears. And then yep. you're like, okay, well, how can I prevent each one from happening? What can I do? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I don't give up my apartment, you know, for example, or, um, okay, well, worse, if it does happen, what, how can I recover from it? Right. Where can I go next? Okay. Well, I have friends that I can stay with, or I have this backup plan, you know? So you always have something in place that here's how I'll prevent it. Here's what I can do if it happens, you know, so you feel safe. Um, and then he says, well, what's the downs? What's the positive if you do it, right? What's all the potential? Okay. And what if you don't do it? How will you feel? So yep. it's more that we don't always look at things holistically. We look at like one tiny little piece. Yeah. Um, I'm sharing a lot of TED Talks, but uh, Peter Sage has another great one uh -huh. um, that I think you would like given our conversations. But he gives the analogy of you're in the, the Amazon rainforest. He's like, there's so much you could be looking at, you know? And he's like, so many of us see like the snake eating the rat and we're like, it's so dangerous in here and be careful, you know? And he's like, but there's also mm -hmm. hummingbirds and there's also all these beautiful things happening. So it's not to like, both are true, you know? So it's actually having a more expansive perspective. So mm -hmm. yeah, you know, all these things can go wrong, but like all these things can go right too. You go right too. Possibility, you know? And yep. When I first, my first class at Stanford, I was so nervous before I was teaching, you know, like imposter syndrome and all the things. And I shared with a friend, I go like, what if it's, what if I'm terrible? And she goes, what if you're amazing? <laughs> and, and it's so true, you know, it's just, yeah. we don't tend to look at that, that side of it. Yeah. And it's so much, I, I always find stuff like that funny, right? Because 
it's so much easier to to be you know when when you're not the subject of the limiting belief it's so much easier to be like oh no like it'll be fine like you're gonna crush it like everything's gonna go fantastic but when it's you that's in those shoes it becomes a little more tricky right it's like all right you kind of have to you kind of have to like block out all the negative thoughts that you're having a hundred percent yeah exactly exactly to me like the the tricky thing about limiting beliefs like you know obviously they're the obvious ones right like this the ugly scar experiment and or like you know speaking from personal experience like if you get a really bad haircut before something important you don't feel like you're as confident for whatever that is right like we've all been in situations like that but then there's also limiting beliefs that you just almost can't even identify Mm. you know what i mean like they kind of you know something that just seems so far out of your realm of possibility just because of how you grew up or because of what you've always been told like your conditioning mm-hmm. that some of these beliefs aren't even like oh you're not even aware of of these limiting beliefs that they even exist mm-hmm. so how can you kind of open up your open up your mind and and realize where you're actually limiting yourself and doubting yourself more than you even realize yeah. am i making sense uh, yes i think so. yes so for, I think it's really just a commitment to growth. Like you're like, I am all in on this. Like this is important to me. I want my life back. You know, so when I started my journey, I was reading so many books. Uh, the first one I read was The Untethered Soul by uh, mm-hmm. Michael Singer. Great book. He also has The Surrender Experiment. I, uh, Louise Hay has a movie, You Can Heal Your Life. Like I was literally just immersing myself in, in books and, you know, Tony Robbins has a documentary and just really committing and doubling down on personal growth. And I tell my clients in my class, you know, when we just have an intention to do something, it doesn't usually happen when we're committed to do something, that's Mm -hmm. when it happens. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, if you like, yeah, I intend to quit smoking, like you may or may not. Right. If you're like, I am committed to this, like you're getting, you're doing this, you're doing, you know, you're doing all the things. So if you're like, I am changing my life, you're going to take courses, you're going to get a coach, you're going to read books. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't all happen over like, you know, at once, but you know, the more you do it, it's like one rope breaks and then the next and then the next. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so, and even for me, I've been started this journey maybe 10 years ago. I'll still have big aha moments, things that were so off my radar. And one of them that came in the last like four months, I would say, is my worth is determined by how other people treat me. And I think this goes back to my father, right? Not, not my feeling like he wasn't around very much. So mm-hmm. because he wasn't around or not treating me as valuable, I took on, oh, I must not be valuable. Right. And so we get into romantic relationships, let's say, and someone doesn't treat us a certain way. Oh, it's about me. Right. We take that as a signal of our self-worth or our boss, you know, puts us down or it's a toxic work environment. We have shame. Right. I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. And so just to know to have this own inherent sense of worth and value, I was like, that's what we want. Right. Like I'm worthy, period. Whether you show up a certain way with me or not, I have. I know who I am and I have my own sense of value. So I was like, oh, like it did that blew my mind when I realized that because I was still, mm-hmm. even with all the work that I had done, making, yeah, my really my sense of worth based on how other people were showing up with me. Mm-hmm. Right. And then all of a sudden it was this huge shift of like, wow, I have my own just inherent worthiness and value. Brene Brown talks about this, right? It's just like I'm worthy, period. 
Mm-hmm. And that's such a powerful place to be because you have this unshakable foundation, right? Yep. Whether my boss validates me or not, whether the, you know, my romantic partner does this or not, like I mm-hmm. know who I am. And then there's nothing to prove. A lot of us have um, like people pleasing, which we do so that people don't get upset. It's learned from childhood, right? Like, oh, if I can like curate myself and do things just right, this person won't get upset or leave or reject me, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're like, I know who I am and like, you can stay or go, right? Like that that's what matters the most. And you then you can have boundaries and like protect, preserve your sense of well being without kind of over giving or over accommodating, et cetera. Yep. So it sounds like you really need to be in touch with who you are and you need to know you need to know yourself very well so that you're able to identify some of the weak points in your self-esteem and some of the some of the holes um, that you're letting other people um, dictate your life on. Mm-hmm. And it's, right. it's really a practice, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, you keep doing it, the, the, the 10,000 hours, but with personal growth. And, and mm-hmm. it, it is really helpful, I think, to have a coach. You know, I have, I have a coach and a therapist. You know, I have yeah. I have my own people that I talk to yeah. because, you know, the, the journey just keeps going. It's not like you're like, I'm done. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's always like new insights and new things to move through. And and I think it's important to mention, too, that the thoughts actually never really go away. I mean, some of them do. Some of them I just don't even have anymore. But, you know, I still have thoughts around like I need to be perfect and get it right. But th- what changes is like they're kind of looser, like they'll have a tight grip. And now it's like in essence and like I move through it more quickly. But you know, I spoke at a conference recently. Again, I've been doing this 10 years, but I'm like, you know, get it. I hope it's good. What if it's not good? Like all those things. And that's crazy because you do this for a living. Like you do this all the time. You do this with clients. You host um, these kind of like seminars. You speak at conferences and you still have moments where you're where you're like, oh, man, I hope this is I hope this is like up to my standard. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I was sharing this actually yesterday with my therapist and, and she was like, she's been doing this for 30 years and she leads workshops. She's like, I know me too. <laughs> like, just, yeah. yeah. And Brittany Brown talks about getting nervous before, you know, her Netflix special or she's doing something. It's just, uh-huh. it just doesn't stop you anymore, but it's still there. You know, you feel it and then you kind of you know, once it's showtime, you kind of just get into flow and you do it. But yeah. I don't want people to think just because they have those thoughts, it means like they haven't done their work or, you know, there's something wrong. It's just the thoughts come. And I really like Michael Singer, who I mentioned, because, you know, his big realization in his own life is is the thoughts are always going to come. You're always going to have them. What mm-hmm. changes is you stop listening to them. Right. They, they just kind of run, but it's not they're not dictating your behavior or what you do or they're just like, you're like, OK, you know, you do your thing. So um, you almost have like your ability to to silence those thoughts becomes so much stronger. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And it's interesting because he says it's really not about silencing them because they're not going to go away. Right. They're there. It's more just accepting them. So, yeah. you know, you're like, OK, I'm thinking I have a, an ugly scar, but whatever, you know, like, let me like test it out. Let me ask some people, let me like, you know, show up anyway as my best self and see what happens. Yep. And yep. They're, they're, they're there, but they don't have power over you. I would yeah. say. Yeah. yeah. Embrace, the, embrace the bad haircut. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> totally. And then it's, you know, I, you know, again, doing all this personal growth, you just hear so many amazing stories 
And so I remember someone was talking about they were in Brazil and there was this little cafe with a mother and two like beautiful daughters. And everyone talked about how beautiful the daughters were. Um, and he's like, oh, you know, I want to see them. And he went. And then the mother came out one day from the kitchen and he said her yep. energy was so beautiful. It was just so loving and so warm. And even though she was older and not as beautiful, he's like, I thought she, I was like 10 times more, not romantically, but like 10 times just more drawn to her because of her beautiful energy. Mm -hmm. It always stuck with me because I think that is so true. You know, like my favorite, the fav my favorite people in my life are not the best looking, right? They're the ones that are just like, I love their energy and their vibe and they're just so nice to be around. So like you can get a bad haircut and we hang out and I'm like, oh, I just love, you know, your energy uh, being around you. And so, you know, just a reminder of what, you know, does really matter and, mm -hmm. and what doesn't. And we get a lot of from our culture too, you know, we have to look a certain way and the makeup and be thin and, you know, all the things, but th there's so much power to just who we are, you know, like what, what makes us actually really loved. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some people can shine through it regardless, no matter what, right? Like they always, they have, some people just have more of a kind of a vibrant personality where they can, you know, even though they might not be wearing the right collared shirt or whatever, can just, they can get away with it sort of. Yeah. And I think when we're just authentic, you know, it's like, it's not like you, you have to be like loud and charismatic. You can also be quiet, but just real and, and genuine. And so I often, you know, for public speaking, I share Susan Cain has a TED talk on the power of introverts mm -hmm. and she's introverted and she's more soft-spoken and it's the number two most watched TED talk, you know? So it's really yeah. just own, this is who I am. Like I'm I have more personality or I'm more, you know, quiet and gentle and like just to be fully who you are and what's most natural to you tends to be the most connecting and powerful. Yep. So on that point of understanding who you are and embracing your authenticity, you know, you just mentioned the TED talk about somebody who's super introverted and, you know, you wouldn't normally expect an introvert to have the number two TED talk on whatever, all time, yeah. whatever. Um, one of the, one of the cool things that really drew me towards your work was the first time we ever connected, we were kind of just catching up and you mentioned human design. Um, and, and like the kind of person I am, I'm always highly, highly skeptical of things like human design. Um, and so I was like, I mentioned it to my girlfriend and, you know, we, we both did the human design thing and it was crazy how accurate everything yeah. was. To the point where like I've been sharing this with my friends and I'm like, guys, you have to try this. Like this is this is the real deal. Like this isn't some voodoo magic type of thing. Like this is this is actually the real deal. Um, do you use that a lot with your clients and kind of I guess I kind of butchered the introduction to human design. So please feel free to, you know, sure. explain exactly what it is and how you use it in your work. Yes. I don't use it a lot with my clients. I have used it with a couple clients. Sure. Uh, I found it personally really helpful. And for those who don't know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I am very spiritual. A lot of people would say human design is kind of woo-woo. Uh, but to your yeah. point, like it just is accurate, you know? So, I mean, it is, it's based on astrology. You put in your birthday and time and where you were born. And, um, but it, it gives you just something really beautiful to work with. So I find like whatever your beliefs, if it has value for you, then it's valuable. So, yeah. um, but you, you're given a certain type and it tells you how do you best kind of show up in the world and make decisions. Mm -hmm. And for my type, for example, I'm better off responding to things than creating from scratch. 
Mm-hmm. And so what I mean by that is I didn't say I want to coach and teach at Stanford, right? That wasn't just an idea that I had. I yeah. was doing coaching, shared it with a friend, and then he sent me an email that Stanford Business School was looking for a speaking coach. And I was like, that sounds good. So like, you're like, as a responder, you're letting things come into your world and then responding to them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, it takes pressure off me where I'm like, I don't have to force things. I just kind of like live my life. And as things come in, then I respond to them if they feel in alignment. So that was one. I also didn't try to teach. I didn't apply for a teaching job. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another instructor there and I, we loved his work, asked to meet with him. And, and at the end of our meeting, I said, if I can ever be helpful with anything, please let me know. At the four months later, he said, oh, you know what? They're expanding my class size. Do you want to co-teach? with me, right? So that was another response. Or I met someone who lived in Santa Monica and I came Mm -hmm. to visit and I was like, what is this amazing place? And then I moved, you know? So um, just if if that is your type, which is a generator or manifesting generator in that system, Mm -hmm. um, it's to, right? Yeah, to respond to things. And actually even the course that I was mentioning, I wanted to do a course for a long time. I just like wasn't doing it or creating it. A client mentioned another coach she had worked with in the past. And I, I'm just, I don't know, it's just something like lit up for me about her. I was like, I feel like I want to reach out and connect. We'd studied at the same coaching program. Had our first conversation. I, I said, we should do a course together. It just like mm-hmm. came to me. We start building this course. And then she actually does dating and relationship coaching. And halfway through, she's like, you know what? Like, I, I think I really want to just stick to dating and relationships, not do, you know, more holistic, which I was doing. She's like, but I'm so happy for you to have the website and the course and like run with it. And I have run with it. And I just let it ran a pilot and I'm launching again this summer, uh, another bigger cohort. But it was because something came to me, right? I learned about this coach. We had a conversation. I said, let's do a course. So I'm always just kind of creating from things that come into my to my world. So that's the first one, the response piece. The second one that I think is really helpful is how you make decisions. Mm-hmm. So they talk about, you know, depending on your type, you make decisions from how your body responds. You know, so if I have, if I'm offered to do something, does my body kind of like lean forward, right? Does it feel like, oh yeah, I want to do that. Uh, We might lean back if we have limiting beliefs, but what's your first kind of instinct? Like, do you actually have energy for this? Which is another piece of it, right? Do I have- Are you excited by it? Am I excited by it, right? So let's say lots of projects come in for me and someone's like, oh, you know, I'll pay- you know, I'll pay you this. Will you do it? Like for me, the money doesn't matter. It's like, do I have energy for this? Will I be fueled by it? Because I will like over deliver and do such a good job because I am actually, I care, right? It'll give me energy back in return. So mm-hmm. those are the best things for me. Things that actually I have energy for will give me energy. Um, so really to often- and, work and Lauren, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. What, what do you mean by energy? Like excitement and enthusiasm or- is it something else? Yeah, excitement and enthusiasm. And, you know, Kathy in her course, she talks, we talked about this before we started recording, but Kathy Heller has a podcast and her expertise is turning your passion into profit. Mm-hmm. And as you figure out your passion, you know, she's like, what is that thing where like late at night you're like Google searching or reading about it? Or it's just, you, you, can't, you would do it for free. You just have so much energy for it. And for me, that very much is personal growth, right? I love mm-hmm. learning ways to better ourselves, overcome limiting beliefs, work with our emotions. So I'm in such a good job, right? The work that I do is like, makes so much sense because I'm always going to do more than I need to do, right? Because it's really important to me. 
And, you know, I could be tired, but as soon as I have a client meeting or do something like this, I'm like, I have so much energy and I'm like creating yeah. and doing more things. And, you know, uh -huh. but I started in law school, which, which I share in my talk. And so when I had to, I don't know, do a brief or research something, I was like, oh, like I'm so drained and depleted. I definitely was not over delivering or <laughs> researching in my free time, you know, and so many of us have, have jobs or things that we do that do deplete us and do drain our energy. It could be what we're doing or the environment that we're in. Um, so it's like, if you find something that like inherently fuels you and you're, you know, you really want to put the time and energy into like, that's, that's such a gem. Right. For you. And, you know, I think a lot of people say, oh, well, you, you know, it requires a certain level of privilege or, but, you know, I keep mentioning Kathy, but she has these amazing stories where someone like worked in a dog food factory, like, and then he has this like amazing thriving cupcake business now. It's this long story how he got there. But she has so many examples of people who didn't start with a lot. And, and Tony Robbins, actually, who I, I like his work, shares, he's worked with billionaires. And he's like, you know, what I found is it's not resources, it's resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. You can have, you know, kids of billionaires who never really amount to anything. And then you have these people growing up in poverty, which he did, um, having these huge successful lives and businesses. And I see that with my clients, too. A couple of my clients in particular that I'm thinking of, VPs of companies, grew up in really poor neighborhoods, but they were resourceful, right? They always figured out, what do I need to do? How can I do it? Who can I talk to? Like, so I think that that makes a huge difference as well of like, it's the how can I, right? Well, yeah, this is challenging, but how can I figure it out? Right, right. How can I leverage whatever else is in my environment to get out of the situation that I'm in now? Exactly. A hundred percent. I really like yeah. to, um, Lisa Nichols is okay. great. Um, she's a motivational speaker, but she, this incredible talk about, I mean, she was in like full poverty. She didn't have, she had a son, his father was in prison. Um, she didn't have enough money for diapers. She had like mm -hmm. $8 in the bank. She's wrapping her baby in towels. And she's like, I am done. She's like, I, I want to give my son a better life. She signed up. She like somehow was able to get into this seminar. She started going to all these seminars on money and making money and investing. And she was able to like fundraise $500,000 to do this project. And her life like completely transformed. She's a motivational speaker and author now. Right. So it's like it's the more you story. It's an incredible story. And she's such yeah. a phenomenal speaker. I highly recommend folks watch her. Uh, there's a clip of her. I think it's on the Dr. Phil show where she tells this whole story. Um, but Oprah grew up in also extreme poverty. Yep. You know? yeah. so there's, there's so many examples of these people. So many examples. Gabrielle Bernstein was addicted to drugs and alcohol. You know, So mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, it really is like committing yourself and then being resourceful and continuing to ask, how can I work through your blocks, et cetera, that can literally transform your reality. Yeah. So when you're putting these cohorts together um, for your, your coaching business, are you kind of like, are you grouping people who have similar limiting beliefs in one cohort and then, you know, other groups of people in others, or is it just kind of like a mix of people and whoever, whoever happens to, you know, sign up for that um, particular availability just gets paired up together? How does that work? The, the course is a mix and okay. it's so funny. I feel like everyone like has the exact same thing, you know, everyone. Oh, really? Yeah. Like almost everyone has imposter syndrome. That's kind of where I was going with this. Like do, do people, do the people you work with generally have the same limiting beliefs? And if so, what are they? 
Yeah, they're always like, me too, me too, <laughs> you know? Uh -huh. yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I work with a lot of folks in like Silicon Valley and tech and in business, but imposter syndrome for sure. Like I'm not good enough, I'm gonna be found out. Uh, a lot of anxiety, a lot around being perfect, getting it right, like knowing everything in advance. Uh, burnout is really common. Like I have to, I, I can't take time to rest and recharge myself. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people pleasing, not having boundaries. Um, yeah, I mean, they're all just so common. I don't have enough experience. Right. There's a lot. It's, and, it seems to be it seems to be common among like the kind of groups or the kind of the kinds of people that you work you work a lot with, right? Like the high performing crowd who yeah. um, is trying to is trying to build something from the ground up. For example, a hundred percent, and and. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes though, it's just stories, you know, it's like giving people hope, even if they're not high performing now, there's like Lisa Nichols, Oprah, Tony Robbins. I mean, there's so many stories of people who didn't start with much. And so even just knowing those stories, um, I think I mentioned earlier in our, our recording, I had two examples, uh, when I, when I shared something, the other one, I, I mentioned Phil Hansen. The other one was, his name is Daniel Kish. Yeah. Um, He's, he's blind and also has a TED talk, but mm -hmm. you know, growing up, a lot of parents, if their children are blind, they're probably very overprotective, right? They're like, don't do that. Be careful. So they come to believe, right? Like, oh, I'm not capable. I need to be careful and cautious. Right. His mom was like, I trust him. I'm going to let him like go off on his own, do what he wants to do. He's climbing trees and like bookcases and like, you know, he really learns to be strong and, and resourceful and to believe he can do what anyone else can do. Mm -hmm. So he, and he also learns how to echolocate, which is what bats use to navigate in the dark. Yep. He learns how to make these clicking sounds and the way the sound comes back to him, like he can kind of, he know where he knows where things are around him. He can literally navigate the world. So there's these pictures of him leading hikes, biking. Uh, there's a cliff I play in my workshop of That's him. On incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. You know, yeah. so, like the power of our mind that he's blind, but he's like, I can do what anyone else can do. Well, how can I figure out how to navigate my world? And he learns to echolocate, like, right. It's like kind of where there's a will, there's a way, you know, like, so just asking those questions, being really resourceful, doing whatever you can to figure things out can have a really meaningful impact. And, and to know you did all you can do, right? Maybe some things will never happen, but you don't know unless you really double down and give it your all. And then you see what happens from that place. Yeah. That that would be what you just said about Daniel Kish would be such a like phenomenal intro to a speech or presentation or something. Yeah. It's amazing. That's amazing. I'll have to watch that one. Um, I'm obviously going to link to all of these in the in the notes and everything. But um, what role do you think your inner voice has in in all of this? In all of the you know limiting beliefs, breaking through them. Um, how do you coach your clients through improving the quality of their thoughts? Yeah. So I, you know, I think the inner our inner voice is really kind of the true part of us, right? So when I saw Fernando, I felt joy. When I needed money, I was painting, you know, painting my rocks and selling them. It's like, it's like kind of our intuition of like, this is actually really in alignment for me. This is the mm -hmm. right next move. So that, that always exists. It's just that things get layered on top of it, right? There's all these ropes that we're, we kind of have this impulse or inner voice. And then there's all these other voices, right? That aren't really true that are kind of coming in that drown out the voice. 
And so I, it really helps to even just pause, you know, in a situation where we're like, oh, this, I should, I, this job looks great. Oh, but I don't have enough experience or, oh, you know, this or that, like you said, all the, the, the self-talk that comes in. So yeah. really just pause, right? Like, okay, let me take a breath. I'm feeling anxious or whatever it is. Just breathe, like literally create white space, you know, and think, okay, well, what am I feeling? What are the thoughts that are coming up for me? Are these really true? What's another way to look at it? Like, it's like we really need to slow down and not get hijacked by the other voices. And mm -hmm. all those voices, I mean, they're there to protect us, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, we don't want you to put yourself out there because what if you get, you know, hurt or hurt like you did when you were five, you know? So yeah, it's just trying to protect yourself from danger. It comes from, I guess it comes from a good place. Totally. And, you yeah. know, Another great example. Um, I love this TED Talk. I think it's called What I Learned from 100 Days of Rejection. Do you know this one? No, but that sounds that sounds interesting. This one's phenomenal. I think his name's yeah. Gia, Gia Jang. Um, but his story is, I think he was six, and the teacher was calling all the students up to the front of the class, and the other students had to say, I think, something positive about them. And when he went up, nobody said anything. Mm -hmm. um, I think something, a story, something like that. And he just felt yeah. so rejected and so exposed that became terrified of rejection. Fast forward, I think he's 14. He hears about Bill Gates and he's like, this is amazing. I want to start my own company. I want to be an entrepreneur. He, like, he has all yeah. these dreams and he keeps trying to make it happen, but he's so afraid of rejection and so afraid of failure and putting himself out there. He can't, he like can't realize his dream, but mm -hmm. he realizes, wow, it's like really this fear that's holding me back. I'm afraid, like the rejection fear. So he decides to start getting rejected, like left and right, just to desensitize himself to that. Oh, so he's I like, love that. Yeah, it's so I good. I love that. Yeah, just shoot your shot everywhere and just get told no every time and just get over it. Everywhere. Yeah, and he's oh, surprised man. actually that people say yes, like way more than he thought <laughs> they would. But like he'll go to Starbucks and he's like, hey, do you mind if I greet people at the door? <laughs> like I welcome them when they arrive. Just like uh -huh. Random funny things, asking people to borrow money, strangers, um, and he does that. He he plans to do this. You know, he has like a blog about it, and it goes viral. People love this, and he gives this talk. But he really worked that muscle to keep allowing himself to get rejected and rejected and rejected. So like it wasn't yeah. scary anymore. Um, I mentioned so many TED talks now, but everyone will have a long list. But Amy, Cuddy, I mean, these are these are all these are all super powerful. Like this is going to be great for people to. To check all these a lot of these people are going to get a lot more views in the next couple of days totally they're gonna have a, yeah your audience has a full resource guide now but uh, amy cuddy uh also i think top 10 ted talk talks about so afraid of public speaking and being found out as an imposter that she mm -hmm. almost dropped out of her phd program rather than give a 20-minute talk to 20 people right she's like no way like they're gonna find me out i'm quitting she literally called her advisor and said i'm quitting because mm -hmm. of this year and her advisor said, you are not quitting. She goes, you're going to do every talk that you're ever get asked to do. Even if you're happy, you're terrified and paralyzed, you're just going to like keep doing it and doing it. And she goes, and that's what I did. I just gave every talk, even though I was terrified. And she's like, and then I had this one day where I said like, oh my God, like I'm actually doing this. I have become this. And she goes on to give the second most watched TED talk of all time, right? Imagine she dropped out at age, you know, 20, whatever. She never would have known all she could have accomplished. Mm -hmm. And so, and you know, Tim Ferriss too, who I mentioned earlier, 
he talks about almost committing suicide in college, like being that yeah. depressed and like yep. everything he's created, best-selling books and TED talks and podcasts. And, you know, it's like, there, there's so much possible for us when we're, when we do like, you know, the inner work, um, if we can find just like one bright spot or one person or, you know, one thing to do. But, um, my point being, you know, Amy Cuddy says, fake it till you become it. You know, sometimes when we just act, even when we're afraid, we kind of, yeah, we desensitize ourselves. I used to be terrified of public speaking. I teach this I can't, now. I can't even imagine that. Yeah, which is I can't even imagine that. Terrified. Yeah. And even when I first started teaching a public speaking class at Stanford, I was terrified, you know? Uh-huh. You know, the thoughts that I had, I'm like, we got reviews at the end of the year. I'm like, they're going to say, like, who hired her? She's terrible. How is she teaching? Like, we have these, like, nonsense thoughts, you know? But I did it anyway. And I, you know, it's like act as if fake it till you become it. And I got great reviews and taught for five years. And so it's really just to not let our thoughts have power over us. I didn't share this in my TED talk, but I had one version of it where I said, hang it, flip it, grow it, which hang it is like, you have a thought. It's like you hang it up, like just like, you know, closet. It's like one of many possible thoughts. It's like you separate it from yourself. So rather than it's truth, you know, it's just a thought. I'm going to pull it out. Flip it is you can ask yourself, well, what's the opposite of this thought, right? Mm-hmm. So my, my mother might say, I'm not too old. Lots of people in their 60s get new jobs or, you know, I have 20 years of experience. So you're turning it around. Yep. And then grow it is, okay, well, you know, for her, it's like, I'm not good at interviews. Well, how can I grow that skill in order to do what I want to do? Mm-hmm. You know, for the elephant, okay, well, maybe I can't break the rope now, but how can I get stronger, you know, so that I can eventually break the rope? Yeah. So just those three things alone, like hang it, flip it, grow it. Hang it, flip it, grow it. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that one. That's probably one that your clients repeat to themselves a lot. Hang it, flip it, grow it. It's just an easy way to kind of remember in in the moment, like, what can I do? Yeah. Like in the moment when you're having one of those really bad thoughts or like, Everybody has those days where they're like, oh, shit, I can't do this or I can't do that. Hang it, flip it, grow it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, last thing I wanted to touch on um, that you had discussed was, you know, obviously when you're having a limiting belief or when you're going through one of these difficult situations, your first instinct, right, is, all right, let me go to my trusted group of advisors and let me ask them for advice. But you kind of identified that there's kind of there's a problem with doing this too right because everybody you know as we've discussed this entire conversation everybody has limiting beliefs so when you go ask one of your trusted advisors your friend your parent your mentor your boss whatever when you go ask one of them for advice it's filtered through their lens of limiting beliefs and so they're giving you advice from their perspective which they've already you know they have their own set of limiting beliefs from their childhood or their environment or whatever. Um, and there's real danger in this. Obviously it's our first instinct as humans and like as social creatures to just go ask the people we trust most for advice, but just be cognizant and be aware that, you know, everybody's, everybody's kind of giving you advice through their own filtered perspective too. So just, just be mindful of that. Of course. Yeah. Whatever their experience is. So, you know, they say there's that saying you're you're a combination of the five people you spend the most time with. Yep. As you know, you really are going to take on the thoughts of the people around you. 
But mm-hmm. you know, the good news is with with books and podcasts and you know every, all the content out there, you can spend time with Oprah, Tony Robbins, Brene Brown, you know, all these TED Talks. So the mm-hmm. more you immer- immerse yourself in that type of thinking, right, that can really inspire you and fuel you. And, and I think it, it is really helpful to, to find people, you know what, I really trust this coach or this therapist, right? I think they really know what they're talking about and can give me a good perspective. So yep. it's to really seek out those people so that you kind of always have a go-to of like, okay, I'm going to get, you know, something that's not biased in some way or being seen through another, someone else's, you know, their own headset. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty big, yeah, it's, it's definitely a skill to have, right. To be able to, to filter out your limiting beliefs when you're giving somebody else advice on a particular situation. So yeah, on, on that last point, um, it's, it's definitely a a very valuable skill to have. So if you have somebody like that in your life, definitely keep them around. Definitely. And, you know, and also, you know, to start learning to tune into your, like your, our body has wisdom, like our body will respond to certain things. And, and just as an example of this, my, my mother had a therapist like years and years ago, and yep. she was in a relationship. They broke up and then they were get, they got back together just to have dinner. And she was so nervous because she really wanted to get back together, but didn't know like what to say or what to do. And for some reason, her therapist said, don't say anything. Don't share your feelings. Just like, I don't know, let him speak first or whatever advice he gave. So my mom goes to that dinner and she's like, well, the therapist, you know, the expert told me this, so I should, I shouldn't say anything. But her whole body was like, like wanting to say something that felt actually in alignment and it would be good to just be open and honest. And so she didn't say anything. Fast forward, I forget how it all played out, but he moved on. He ended up dating someone else and he said, I thought you weren't interested anymore. Like I wanted Mm -hmm. to get back together. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, even a therapist or an expert, you know, doesn't necessarily give the best advice, you know? So it's really fine. Someone that you trust, like, you know, I've talked to therapists in the past and they're fine, but like the one I have now, I'm like, I trust her so much, like super solid advice. Yeah. And though I always run everything through my own compass, right? Does this really feel in alignment? How's my body responding to this? Does this feel in integrity? Coming back to that point of really knowing yourself and knowing who you are. Which is a practice, you know, you kind of, again, you have to make mistakes. I have to, like my mother has to go against herself or I have to go against myself, maybe not have the best optimal outcome and learn so that I can do better next time. And, and, you know, a lot of this work too is having self-compassion. We can be so hard on ourselves. And so just as Oprah said this and I, and my Angelou and I found it's true. It's like, when we know better, we do better. So we can beat ourselves up. Oh, I should have, but you know, and also with mindset, I, I call them short circuits. It's like something you can say to yourself that like cuts the, the thought stream. Mm-hmm. So even like, you know, I should have done this. It's like, here I am. Right. Cause we can't change what happened. It's like, yep. well, here I am. <laughs> like I am, like I am where I am. Yeah. So that's short circuit. Well, how are we going to react and respond now? Exactly. And, and then, yep. you know, I like also like I create from everything is really powerful. So whether this works out or not, I will create from mm-hmm. it. And now that I know better, I'll do better. Yeah. Like those are all much more empowering thoughts than all the, you know, the spinning out we can do in those yeah. situations. What are what are your thoughts on um on daily affirmations? Like it it seems it seems based on, you know, the last couple of things that you just said that you're the type of person who implements and, and recommends daily affirmations in their life. And, you know, what's the power of a daily affirmation and should should people be, you know, considering uh including that as part of their routine? 
Yeah, I'd say a few things. So one, I like these short circuits, like I am yeah. where I am, here I am, I create from everything uh, is, is really powerful. Um, I also like if you're worried about the future, what do I not know right now? Because mm -hmm. our mind doesn't know what to do with it. We always want to know what's happening. And you're like, well, what do I not know? Right? I don't yeah. know everything that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's helpful. Uh, affirmations. You know, I mentioned I was speaking at this conference a while back and I'm like, what if it's not good? Right? So it's, you know, it's reminding myself, like I've done this many times before. I always get great feedback, right? I, I create powerfully each time. I, they're more like reminders to yourself. Yep. Um, I'm also the compassion piece. I'm human. I make mistakes, mm -hmm. right? Like that's, I am, I will not go through this life, like never making a mistake. That's just unrealistic or like being a hundred percent perfect. Mm -hmm. And so to really acknowledge that truth, you know, it just gives us more room to show up in a relaxed way. And, and for another resource, uh, his name's Rock Thomas. I think his Rock video Thomas. is Rock Thomas. Um, you can change the way you see yourself. And he talks about having this really tough childhood and then ending up like not feeling great about himself, thinking he was kind of worthless. And then he gets a job in real estate and he ends up having a mentor there who's like, oh, he's like, you just had, you know, shitty programming. He's like, you can reprogram yourself. And he's like, what do you want to be? And like he gets him to say kind of these like affirmations. And Tony Robbins talks about affirmations, too. But what they right. both kind of what comes through from both of them is not enough to say like, I'm good enough. I'm powerful. Like it's not the words. They they both say you have to like feel it. You have to have conviction, right? So if I'm like, okay, I'm I'm good enough. I create powerfully. It's like I create powerfully, right? I can figure this out. I got this. Like you kind of need the thought and the words, but you need the like the elevated emotion behind it. Like when we have elevated emotions, that's when it like it starts integrating into our being. So Tony Robbins talks, he's like, I would go for walks, I would go for runs. And he's like, I'm powerful, I create powerfully, like I'm a great entrepreneur, I do these things, you know, it's like, when you mm -hmm. have that force behind you, that can really fuel you. And, and Rock Thomas, when you hear him speak, he, he says his affirmations with that amount of conviction and commitment. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not even about the affirmation itself. It's like how you say it sometimes, right? Exactly. Because exactly. yeah. if you think, when do we take action or not take action? It's when we feel an emotion. Right. Yep. When we feel love and inspiration, we move forward. When we f feel fear, we stay back. So it's really our emotions that are driving us at so many twists and turns. You know, so if you get that fuel, that fire with the words that you're saying, even if you don't believe them, but you still say them with conviction over mm -hmm. time, they're really going to start integrating in you. Yeah. yeah. That was awesome. Thank you. That's powerful. Yeah. I mean, Lauren, this entire conversation has been super, super powerful. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely feeling super energized after, after having this conversation with you. So I'm sure that, um, you know, people in the audience will feel very energized to do whatever they want to do um, when they hear this. So I, I really appreciate your time. And I think this was, this was a lot of fun. And uh, I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Where can people find you online? And how can people get in touch with you? Yep. So my website is resonatecoaching.co. Uh, you can also do uh, laurenweinstein.co. They go to the same place. I have private coaching. I have workshops. And also I'm launching my course on July 29th. So for folks that watch my TED Talk and really want to know how do I do this and have weekly support for two months and private spot coaching, that course is available as well. Awesome. I think you've really developed, I mean, you, you alluded to this earlier, but I think you've really... Um you've really developed a business around an, kind of an extension of yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Which is why I think, uh, which is why I think you enjoy it so much. So, for anybody who's interested, July 29th, I'll definitely link to everything that you said, but um, particularly resonatecoaching.co, um, and uh, people should definitely check it out. Amazing! Thank you so much. Great thank you so much. This was awesome. Thanks, Lauren.